This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'll be buried in my Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, please. Thank you so much. Now I clap for you. Thank you. Thank you. We got a great show. Oh, thank you. Keep clapping. Clap if you believe. How would we know you believe if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Uh, so happy to have you with us tonight on Wednesday, the 19th of December, the year of our Lord, 2018. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, on YouTube. Check us out on Instagram, SoundCloud, on Twitter. We're on iTunes. We're on something called Stitcher. We are on Google Play, I'm told. Check us out. Check us out on muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. Check this out that you're watching right now. Continue checking it out. Uh, Muddied Waters Media, we're all over the place. Come check us out. Thank you once again to Kroger for my delicious purified drinking water that I drink on this and most episodes of My Fellow Americans. That is delicious Kroger water. The intro and outro music that I use for this and every episode of my fellow Americans is from the talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Uh, you can check him out on Facebook, on SoundCloud. Check him out on his Bandcamp. Buy all of his music. It's like 10 bucks to buy everything the man has made. Buy all of it. It's great music. Mr. Joe Davi, thank you so much. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Guys, I'm really excited about my next guest. Uh, she is a free, she's a First Amendment attorney uh, who has been featured on PBS's To the Contrary and NewsHour. She's been on RT. She's been on uh, one America News Network. She's been on TV One. She's been on American Urban Radio Network and other outlets. She has served on the advisory council of the uh, Project 21 Black Leadership Network. She was a legislative counsel in the House of Representatives. She was a legal and legislative policy advocate and strategic outreach officer at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education. When was the last time any of you even did a pull-up? 
by the way. Um, and uh, she uh, has served as an advisor and counsel on countless boards and organizations. She's currently the director of the Center to Protect Free Speech. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the beautiful and talented Ms. Shelby Susan. Shelby, thank you so much for joining my fellow Americans. Hey, Spike. Thank you so much for having me. I love this show. You're doing great work. I really like it. Thank you. I, I try to do great work. I appreciate that. You're doing great work as well. Uh, we've been friends for like, what, four or five years now? For a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a, it's been, it's been literally a minute that we've been friends. And uh, I'm really <laughs> excited to have you on. Uh, by the way, guys, if, uh, if you have any questions or thoughts for me or uh, Shelby, please leave them in the comments and we will let you know if you are right or wrong. Um, so the first thing that, that I, I always ask my guests when they come on is uh, two things. One is, how would you define your beliefs, political beliefs, ideological beliefs? And then would you say, how would you say you got to them? Would you say it was like an aha moment or was there sort of this steady evolution towards them? You know, wh- tell me about that. Um, I would define my ideology as I don't care what you do so long as I don't have to pay for it. If I have to pay for it, then I have so many opinions and you're not going to like any of them. Right. Um, so just pay for it yourself. Right. For it yourself. Um, I think it was just kind of a natural progression. So I'm from the city of Detroit, not the suburbs. I'm actually from the city. Um, and I'm biracial, so I'm half black, I'm half white, and I grew up in a single parent home. Um, but I also had my grandparents with me, and I just kind of learned at a young age that a this idea of helping everybody through government programs was not the answer because I grew up with around people that were on and had access to every government program imaginable, and right. it wasn't doing anything. Um, but also realistic, and I understand that. Uh, when I moved to the suburbs, I saw a big difference. You know, I went from a school where the maps and the textbooks were outdated and the maps still said Soviet Union. And then I went to the suburbs where kids had two laptops. Um, so this idea that we all start at the same place is very naive. But I learned, I remember watching the George Bush and Clinton debates and Clinton just kept discussing black people and people who lived in inner cities as if we were victims and incapable and we needed them for everything. And George Bush was just naive and thought, you know, you just work hard and run your race and everything will work out great for you. And I thought that was wrong, but I knew that I would rather have someone think that I'm capable than someone think that I'm not. And that's when I decided that I was a conservative. But not for the same reason most people are. I'm a conservative because I don't trust the government. I don't trust the man. And I want to be left alone. So it's because it's kind of pandering, right? Like to, to be like, I mean, it, I, I again, I'm, I'm an anarchist. But when I see people, the way that they argue against um, voter ID, for example, and I don't really care. I mean, I would have no problem with people going in and voting 100 times at this point. Like, I, I don't really care. But um, but the I, but the, the arguments against it are like, well, you know, black people don't really, they don't know how to get IDs and they don't really have internet. And it's like just the way they talk. And I'm like, how many black people do you know? Like, wh- where are you getting this concept that black people don't have the wherewithal to, like, do basic stuff that pretty much all of us do at this point? So it sounds like that was part of your what kind of turned you, or at least if not what made you a conservative, at least what turned you off from, I guess, what the left was saying about people of color? Yeah, I mean, just growing up and learning my history, the thing that I was most proud of about being black was how strong we were through the face of every horrible, disgusting thing 
that was systematically set up to right. keep us down, and yet we still got through it. Right, um, right. There's still a long way to go, but this idea now that we're all incapable and, you know, it's like a Scarlet from Gone with the Wind and, oh, woe is me, and, and I need the white liberal to save me is, <laughs> I, I can't deal with it. It's, it. it's ridiculous. And I don't think most people believe it, but it's, I, I say that to say just because I'm not a liberal does not mean that I'm pro GOP. I think the Republican Party is a joke. I think that they have been an utter disappointment and disaster, and they are kind of the original pajama boy. Remember when Obama had his pajama boy for Obama? Yes, right. That's what the Republican Party is. Which is, this is pajama boy season, right? Like, this is, yeah. uh, we're coming into when, when we're supposed to be getting into our pajamas and telling our uh, loved ones to sign up for uh, for ACA. Um, so that, yeah, no, it's, and I, I get where, where you're coming from on that, that it's not even, like you said, it's not even that you're, you're supportive of, of the Republicans. It's just what the other side's peddling is like, you can't re- reconcile that. And, and it's, it's interesting because what you said is very common with, you know, with people of color that they find pride in all of the things and, and understandably so all the things that they and their, your ancestors were able to overcome almost all of those things either came from government or from people that were protected by government. You know, you think of the Fugitive Slave Acts or systematic denial of access to the uh, the land uh, giveaway programs when they were expanding out into the Midwest or um, the Tuskegee experiments or, or the way that veterans that, you know, fought in World War II came home and were lynched. Um, you know, those types of, those were all government things. And to now be told, well, you can't really do anything on your old and, and, and you need, you need help from the government, the same government that, you know, created all these problems for you in the first place. We're going to help you. We told you, can totally trust us now. We, we, we can, we can help you. Well, the best part is, and I keep asking people who believe in this nonsense to show me. Uh, so a lot of my white liberal friends who I love dearly, I love them. Um, they're sweet. They're wonderful people. But all these people who tell all this nonsense, I always say to them, there is a systematic problem right now. You've got the most educated group of women in America happen to be African-American women, women like myself. And we have this woman on our back that is just holding us down for real. And her name is Sally Mae. And if you would take (laughs) aggressive privilege and instead of, you know, running your mouth about how privileged you are and your white privilege and your white guilt, just pay off my loans, pay off my friends' loans. I can give you the names of 10 women right now that need their loans paid off. You can go to daddy's credit card. I don't care. Right. And I'll give you a certificate that says that you're diverse and, you know. <laughs> you're, you're an official ally of. Yeah, but they never want to do that. You know, they never want to actually do that. But, you know, you're more than welcome to. You guys can hit me up after the show. Sally Mae does not care. She does not play. Um, she's, she's, she's the real deal, but, uh, we put that, we're going to have to put that in the show notes, your, your cash app ID or whatever, or your PayPal so that they can start for, for all, for all progressives that are watching this, that want to demonstrate your commitment to the fight of people of color. Here's your chance, but you know, right off the bat, you can, you can, you can help, uh, directly. Or just pay off any bills that you'd like. I mean, we can, I would prefer Sally Mae, but you know, I have tons of bills that you're more than welcome to pay. And, I can send you a little note of gratitude, like those save the children cards. You can do updates, like how um, <laughs> is that? Them? I think it's like World Vision or whatever. You can send notes, like today, I uh, I made a craft. Here's a here's a picture of the craft I made today. So that's yeah, we could be pen pals. What's that? We could be pen pals. It would be great. You know? Yeah. No. Can... I, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if they 
if they keep wanting to give, then I, I want to get on, in on this too. So looking at the comments, they're going about how I thought they would initially. Um, we get a lot of people saying you're hot. Um, so, so that's yeah. good. So, so, so that, that's good stuff. So, um, so uh, where are my notes? There are my notes. So, okay, cool. So, so it sounds like, so you've pretty much been here from the beginning, right? Like it, it sounds, you, you didn't have like a phase of being a progressive and then one day you were like, no, I don't, I don't support this anymore. Or... Oh yeah. I've, I've been, I've thought this way since I was at least three years old. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so I have a feeling this might be the same thing. Have you always wanted to be an attorney? Like was, was that from the beginning you wanted to pursue law or was that something you figured out later on? Well, I originally wanted to be um, a mermaid because I loved Ariel. Um, and I, first of all, want to say that I'm really upset with my mom and my family because if they would have let me feel how I feel, then I should be a mermaid and society should have to pay for all those surgeries. Um, but oh, I that's and then I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I realized you couldn't save all the animals. So forget that. Um, but then I read two really, really cool things. Um, I read the constitution and the declaration. So three, sorry. And then I read, um, this biography that was made for kids about, um, uh, Sojourner Truth. And I just thought it was so cool that this woman who technically didn't have any standing, right? She had no legal standing, still had the ear of Abraham Lincoln. And I just thought, oh, yeah. yeah, I just thought that was cool. And I don't know why. And I fell in love with the Constitution. And then when I went to high school um, in college, I got a degree in political theory, constitutional democracy, because I'm a dork. And I loved it. And the thing that I fell in love with the most was the book uh, Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Right. And in yeah. there, there's a, a chapter on um, the politics of society. And he says in the book, I'm paraphrasing, but basically that if government allowed black people to read and understand the constitution and understand the rights therein, um, they wouldn't be able to hold us back anymore. Right, and I was right. like, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And I understood then that the whole system, you know, growing up in Detroit, the, the lack of resources, uh, society, that it was all designed to make me think that I was nothing more than this victim and come hell or high water, I was going to, you know, fight or die trying. So that's why I do what I do. Very good stuff. And I actually want to pivot a little from from what my notes were, because I really didn't consider this before. So you are a, a mixed race, as you had said, uh, you're half white and half black. Would you say that, because I get a lot of different things when I talk to people that are mixed race or light skinned or whatever, and some say that they uh, experience worse or different types of dis- discrimination than just a, I guess, quote unquote, standard black person. And others say, no, it's much better to be, you know, to not be, you know, completely black or whatever. What would you say your experience has been? And, and was it different in, for example, when you were in Detroit compared to when you were in the suburbs? Um, yes, very different experiences. So I do think that there's still this colorism in this country, right? right. Um, Lighter skin is still valued in, in some areas, which I never understood growing up. So yeah. when you grow up with a white mother, she doesn't know the difference. So she's just all focused on, as my mom would say, you know, we all have black babies because we love Afros. It's, it's sad, but it's true. Um, but for me, growing up in Detroit, it's Michigan's a very segregated state, probably one of the most segregated in the country. The North right. is 
a very racist place, I think, compared to the South in a lot of ways. They're just more politically correct about it. Um, but I got a lot of racism growing up, probably the most from poor whites and black women growing up. Uh, a lot of it under stuff like your hair or I can remember a girl in third grade. I won't call her name out, but her name was Miranda, her last name. And I'll never forget. She came up to me and said that I needed to decide if I was um, a nigger or a cracker. And I oh, had wow. no idea what that meant. And I went home to my white grandfather, World War II Marine. He was like 75 at the time, poor guy. <laughs> and probably the only man in America who wished, you know, their granddaughter would come home and ask them where babies came from. Right, and I right, asked right. Mike, you know, am I a nigger or a cracker? And he just looked at me because poor man had no idea what to say, no matter right. what. Right. Well, yeah. What would you say to a How old were you? you were, this was third grade? Maybe like second or third grade, maybe. So you're like seven, eight years old coming home and asking this, right? And I just, you know, asked the, a question and he just right. looked at me and said, people are going to hate you for a million different reasons, but in this household, there's no excuses and you're, you're just Shelby. And I was like, all right, cool. Keep it moving. And that was it. So yeah, I would say as a kid, um, it happened a lot. It kind of like an identity crisis. You weren't quite sure. And then I just got fed up with everybody trying to put me in a box. Um, and then in high school, we moved to a majority white area and that was a whole different experience for me because I grew up, you know, with my white family and they weren't naive and stupid. They kind of had to learn things. Right. Um, so I remember I had this crush on this one guy and his mom always let me come over his house when she wasn't there. And my mom was like, why are you letting my daughter over the house? And she's like, oh, they're just friends. And this woman just it never occurred to her that me and her son were making out in the basement because, you know, I was black, so, right, you know, right, so what right. happened? it's had its perks <laughs> that's funny yeah i actually would love to do uh an episode where we t where i get into the stuff with colorism because i've read about it and the u.s is not and even the western world is not the only place that has colorism it's huge in india it's huge in in east asia uh in africa you have people african and uh in the west indies you have people that are using bleach and it's easy enough to blame it on white people but it, the reality is it looks like and and i my theory is that at one point, what lighter skin was tied to success because it meant that you weren't having to be outside as often. You weren't having to work outside, and therefore your skin was lighter and your kid's skin was lighter. And so I think there's sort of this, uh, uh, um, and it's kind of continued to today, there's sort of this um, either conscious or subconscious tie of lighter skin with being successful, being, I guess lack of a better word, better. Um, I'm sure smarter people than me have, have deconstructed it, but that, that's my theory. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but, um, so yeah, so, so that's what got you into, so you got into law and once you were in there, and of course I named off all the stuff that you've done, um, uh, you've not just worked in free speech, but is that sort of your prime, I, I assume that's your kind of your, your biggest passion? Yeah. Uh, so I, probably got into free speech after working on Capitol Hill. So I worked on a whole range of domestic policy issues, um, but particularly education policy was always my passion because I grew up in an inner city right. and knew that I wasn't, I did not have the same access to opportunities that the kid across eight mile did growing up. Hmm. Uh, and I knew that I was very blessed and thankful to get an opportunity to go somewhere else. But it shouldn't have to be my mom having to pick up and move and go to a completely different county 
just to get me an opportunity. And I could going to school that first day and with my white mother and the counselors trying to convince my mom that I needed additional testing and other things just because of the color of my skin and where I, where I grew up. Um, they didn't see me. They saw a zip code. So I know oh, that, wow. that that systematic stuff is, is still real. But I got into free speech because when I was working on civil rights issues, I started to see a change in culture and this idea that the First Amendment was tied to everything and anything white. And if you were for in any given way, then you were anti-black, you were racist, you were a bigot. And I kind of felt, again, like that kid, you know, this this six-year-old who just loved the Constitution, no reason why, I just did. And I was really concerned with what I was seeing in the field when I researched it. I mean, quite frankly, I'm one of the only minorities practicing First Amendment law. I believe I'm the only black woman. Um, There's very few women. There's very few people of color at all. Um, It's a field that's uh, predominantly men, white men, 50 and older. And so a lot of that is the field's fault itself. It hasn't done a good job of recruiting people, of trying to connect with people from different backgrounds. They just keep quoting John Stuart Mill and then woke up one day and, and they don't understand why college kids are saying your support for free speech is support for white supremacy. Um, I've given lectures myself where I've had students hold up signs that say I'm for the white domination of something. I don't know. Right, right, right. Of speech. But, yeah, but there is some white speech. There is some truth to it. It's just like, you know, when Barack Obama became president, there was a need for that. It was Finally, you know, growing up, you never had it. The only person that I could look up to somewhat in, in what I wanted to do was Condoleezza Rice. And now young men of all different colors, but particularly black men, actually have something to look at. Right or wrong, like Obama or don't like Obama, that's a positive thing. So that's what he represented, I, right. Yeah, and I just felt the need to do that within my own field. If more people see people who look like me, uh, maybe they'll go into First Amendment law because we need more people that look like me. Yeah, I mean, the the, the prickly thing with free speech, and we're going to obviously get more into this, is that in order to truly have free speech, you have to allow the most reprehensible things for the for the most part. I mean, not not calling for people to be killed or something like that, but you have to allow for what. 99.9% of us would agree is a horrific opinion to have. Um, and, and so, for example, you know, when they say, well, free speech is hate speech, it's like, no, free speech includes what you would, cons- what many or most of us would consider to be hate speech or, or, you know, horrific speech. But if you, if you start there and say, okay, well, if you believe that, you know, for example, and I'll use Jews cause I'm Jewish that, you know, Jews are terrible and that, you know, Jews are bad and we should stay away from Jews. If we say, okay, you shouldn't, you can't say that. You can't offend Jews with what you say. Well, then now you also have to say you can't offend Muslims with what they, with what you say. And then you have to say you can't offend Christians with what you say. And you can't offend black people and you can't offend white people and you can't offend Hispanics and you can't offend this and that. You can't offend LGBT people. And before you know it, you've, you've created a really, um, an increasingly, uh, narrow range of what you're allowed to say. And worse than that, you're putting politicians in charge of deciding what's offensive to people. Well, of course. And let's let's be honest here, though. The people who would be making these decisions who define what the speech is, ironically, 
would be these same white liberals that feel the need to save us for ourselves. So right, right, I'm right. constantly hearing, particularly, I think the, the most guilty culprit of this are white liberal women, right? Oh, well, you can't say that. You can't do this. We're right. here to protect you. We're here for you. But none of them are out there for Black Lives Matter. But all of a sudden, we're part of their movement when they have this women's march and the pink pussy hats, which I think is racist right there, right? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> The the hat is racist? Well, someone had an article how the color pink may not necessarily match up with every woman's genitalia color, so therefore it is racist, and I just think it's hilarious. Um, but I always try to tell people that free speech is like Thanksgiving dinner with your family, right? right. You've got the crazy uncle. We all know who it is. If you don't know who the crazy uncle is in your family, it's probably you. Yeah, I'm the crazy uncle, um, yeah. Yeah, you've got the grandmother that maybe has one too many sips of wine and just keeps it way too real. Right. Um, you've got the siblings who don't get along and maybe the one cousin who you actually like. And you're just like, please, Lord, just let's get through this dinner and we'll be good to go. Right. That's speech. You have to take the crazy grandmother along with the cousin that you like. Right. It just is what it is. Or it's not Thanksgiving dinner. Right. And that's just how this works. That's how the system works. Every single great thing that's been achieved in this country has been a result of people saying things that the majority said was hate speech. For example, when people said women deserve the right to vote, there was you can look this up in the records and the archives. You had members of Congress and senators saying that this was horrific and it was going to lead to violence in the home and blah, 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 blah. And when people had this crazy idea that, you know, uh, black people should have the right to vote and not be lynched just because they were trying to be human beings in society. Right. People said, no, 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 no. Don't get out of line. That's hateful rhetoric. Stop, 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 stop. So you have to every great movement in, um, in history, not just American history, has started from everyday people with the ability to run their mouths. It's the one tool that doesn't discriminate based off of class or gender, or anything else. Sojourner Truth had the president's ear, and she was a nobody in legal society. Right. So think about that. It's very true. And the thing is, again, going back to, no one really trusts the government. I, very rarely do I meet someone who unironically trusts the government. They might say the government needs to do this or do that, but they don't trust the government. And so, for example, when they'll say, you know, we need to have laws about this and that, you know, that, that, to stop offensive speech. And I'll say, okay, well, Donald Trump's going to be president till at least uh, the end of 2020, barring uh, the fastest impeachment in history. Um, uh, barring that, he's going to be president at least for the next two years. So what you're saying is that you want Donald Trump and the Republican-controlled Senate, for the most part, to and, and, and whoever Donald Trump puts in charge of this commission you want to have created to decide what's offensive and what shouldn't be allowed to be said. And Donald Trump very often goes on Twitter and says what he doesn't think should be allowed to be said. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe, maybe we need to rethink, uh, you know, exactly who it is. You know, it's not your best friend that's going to be deciding this or you that's going to be deciding this. It's going to be the often people that you hate and distrust and compare to Nazis. And it's going to be the police that you also hate and distrust and compare to Nazis who will be enforcing it. And they'll be using the same level of force that they always use. Um, so, Exactly. So I used to work a lot with uh, education policy. I still do. Um, but when you saw the last couple of years with all of these protests on college campuses, because there's nobody more oppressed than a college student who's paying $120,000 a year for a <laughs> degree, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, 
but there was this big plateau or this this awakening moment where students were literally saying that they were oppressed and afraid to go to school because people had written Trump with chalk, right? Um, and I, I spoke to this this one class and went back to Michigan State, my, my where I went to school, and the student said that she goes, you know, he's a racist and da da da. And when I see his name, it triggers me. And so first, I explained to her that no, Sally May is the real demon in your life. Um, but outside long after of- Trump is dead, Sally May is going to be coming to your door every month. Yeah, yeah, she'll still be there. But more importantly, <laughs> is okay. So you've got you know Barack Obama right now, cool. But Trump is now going to be your president. So what do you think, if you really believe these things, right. what do you think the first thing that he's going to do? And you would have think that I like hit this woman in the face. And she just kind of looked and said, oh, my gosh. And I said, well, that's why you need free speech so you can continue to write chalk about how he's a Nazi. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like all the things you want to say about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's probably the best thing is. To go from one radical extreme to the other, um, you've got, you know, Barack Obama, who, by the way, was actually very good on campus speech issues. He would speak to college students and tell them to use their words and, you know, get a backbone. And I loved him for that. Yeah, he's and he's still doing that. Like he talks about that often that like this safe space approach to speech is actually counterproductive and you're actually emboldening the people that you want to stop you're actually making them because they're the ones out on the street while you're in this room playing with you know dolls or whatever to feel better they're the ones out there you know canvassing and creating their their um uh they're 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 growing their influence while you're you know you know basically hiding from them exactly and i always try to tell people too i don't understand why you give people so much of your emotional power I love it when I, I had, like I told you, I had a couple people holding up signs and just really angry at me. And I'm thinking, I'm a 33 year old woman from Detroit, Michigan. Why are you wasting your energy on me? I right. promise you, I'm not that important. It is not that deep. There are bigger battles in your life to fight. But I'm really in, impressed and feel, you know. I was going to say, you're a, very you're a big deal. You're a big deal. Yeah. You're it was, it was, deal. It was it's kind of, yeah. But honestly, it's. it's I don't understand why people, and I, and I say this to a, a lot of my liberal friends about everything. Why are you giving Trump or anybody, even when I, I worked with the Charlottesville issue and I had students reach out to me and they said, you know, we want to counter protest uh, the Nazis coming to campus. And I said, cool, you know, I'll make sure you guys can do that right and do that right. safely. But I have a better idea. Why don't you go enjoy your day? Why don't you go drink from every water fountain you can find in the city? Go shop go skip, go sing Kumbaya, do something. But I don't understand why you're giving these people your power. Right. Why? If you would have just ignored it. The second Charlottesville, no one really paid much attention to it, and it kind of came and went like nothing happened. And and there was another thing, too. It was after Charlottesville. It was in... There were two events. One was in Massachusetts, and it had nothing to do with that those same groups. It was mostly like libertarian groups talking about like it was one group that was like peaceful parenting and one that was um, anti circumcision. Like I mean, they, they were not they were not like you know the, the groups that came to Charlottesville. And uh, but then there was another one that it was the Charlottesville people. And for whatever reason, it just didn't catch on as much. And you know, a few hundred people went there and did their thing and then left, and no injuries, no one got hurt. And it was like. 
and and no one just converted to Nazism. Like no one converted to the alt right or whatever. Like they did their thing. They said their piece. They had their tantrum in public about you know being replaced by. I don't know, reasonable people. And then they, and then they, they went about their day and it's like you said, but they, but they, like you said, they have that right to protest if they want. The, the thing I always go to, like, for example, with gun control, when someone will say, well, you know, the government needs to, you know, restrict firearms and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, um, are, 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 law, are laws disproportionately enforced against people of color? Yes. Does that disproportionately result in them going to jail? Yes. Does is Donald Trump currently the president? Yes. Okay. So then how many more people of color do you want Donald Trump to put in cages before you feel sufficiently safe from gun violence? And and I never get an, a director's I never get an actual I've never gotten a number yet. Um but I wanted and to ask you in that argument are people from the suburbs who've never had to walk home late at night because they've worked two double shifts, this woman over here right. in a bad hood trying to get home at night. These are always a bunch of women whose mommy and daddy paid their bills while they were, you know, getting their gender studies degree. So, yeah, they have a very skewed concept of, of self-protection and, and, you know, I'm not going to get into it too much, but that's not the only thing that, that, uh, that, uh, you know, the second amendment, the second amendment actually wasn't written for home defense or for, uh, uh, you know, shooting, uh, uh, you know, hunting. It was, it was, uh, it was something put in place to placate the anti-federalists, uh, uh, who didn't want to switch from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution in that if things got too bad, they could start shooting at this new government. I mean, that was really what it was for. But anyway, we're not going to go too deep into that because um, I will I will get real excited. Um, but um, uh, so n- now you're with the uh, Center to Protect Free Speech. Um, obviously, I mean, it says what it does. You're, you're, you're uh, directing a center that protects free speech. But what specifically are like the kinds of actions and things that you take there on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So I work specifically with state lawmakers because the First Amendment applies to the states via the 14th Amendment. And as everybody should know, but they don't, um, your feelings do not matter. And you can't force somebody to not say something because it hurts your feelings. The First Amendment prohibits the government from being able to punish you or treat you differently as a result. Uh, So I work specifically with public areas, so mainly right now college campuses, obviously, but public universities. Right. So if a private university wants to say you don't have free speech, they're more than welcome to. That's their but private if, property, right, right. But if your state institution says that you can't have free speech, they would be in violation. Right. Um, I also work on commercial speech and donor privacy and protection issues. So, for example, our ability to donate to the causes that we believe in is a a part of freedom of association, which is incorporated from the NAACP versus Alabama case, which basically Alabama didn't want, you know, a bunch of black people organizing and trying to defend their rights. And therefore they tried to go after the donors, many of whom are coming from New York. And they thought if they could reveal the names of people's, uh, their names and their addresses and their phone numbers, then they could intimidate them. Oh, demonize them as being out of carpetbaggers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kill them because that's what Alabama was doing back then. So right, right. Um, so that's what I work on. And I, I spend most of my time helping lawmakers understand the First Amendment itself, the restrictions that are placed on them, and then help them with policies so they don't overreact. So, for example, when you saw last year was crazy. I got to deal with the NFL, um, removing Confederate statutes, and crazy people blocking freeways all like in one 
like two months period. It was, it was fabulous. Um, but I help lawmakers not overreact. So a lot of the time there's already laws on the books and I'm one that believes in a limited government. Our organization believes in limited government. Right. So I try to get people to not react and instead enforce the laws on the books, i.e. fire the the fire the police chief if he's not going to arrest people for blocking an intersection instead of trying to go after civilians. I believe you hold the government accountable first. Well, the, and that's a good point because if, if the, it, you can pass these laws that say, you know, blocking a highway is a, you know, a felony or whatever – if the police already aren't really doing much about it, what makes you think they suddenly are? And then the other thing was, I, I saw where they would like pass rules that like legalized running over protesters and stuff like that. I'm like, first of all, the first time, there's no way this isn't going to be challenged. Um, it's one thing if someone's life feels, you know, you feel like your life is in danger. Like I've seen these things where like Antifa surrounds a car and starts smashing it with rocks or whatever. That If that person peels off and people get run over, then people get run over. Like I get that. But it's another thing to be like, I'm late to work and you just mow through some people that are that are protesting. And there are like, uh, I think in North Carolina, like there are some states where that's it's questionably possibly legal. So that that's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm glad to hear that you're doing stuff at the state level too. One thing we talk about a lot on this show is that we focus on federal oppression and federal uh, infringement on our rights because that's more sexy and more um, sexy is the wrong word. That's the right word. It's it's well, infringement isn't sexy, but it's, it's, it's more, um, not using my words today. It's uh, it's it's more. It catches more headline catching. So Donald Trump is doing this to us, or Barack Obama is doing this, this this to us. Everyone knows who that person is. It's less sexy. I'll keep saying sexy. What, what do I care? Um, it's less sexy when it's you know, county councilman such and such, or you know, the mayor of you know, you know, some town in Iowa or whatever. But yet. Those are the same cops that'll come and shoot you over it. Like, so, so, you know, so much oppression that happens to us on our day-to-day basis is uh, carried out at the, at the local level. We, we focus so much, you know, at, at you know, at, at state and federal levels because, because it's more recognizable and it, it gets more attention, but it's actually like your neighbor that ran for mayor and then be, you know, got a, a power trip is, it's, it's potentially more of a day-to-day threat to you than, than Trump will ever be. Uh, it's very true. So most of your power actually is in the states. A quick constitutional 101, we have a federalist system for a reason. There's a reason we have an electoral college. There's a reason that we have 50 states and not just one big landmass called America. Um, right. The states were were supposed to be the original beacons where 90% of all authority was originating from. Right. Obviously, lost that balance. But still, everything from um, police fire, your education system, higher education, um, your basic rights, property rights, all of these things originate for the most part at the state level. So one of the things I always ask people is, if you know who the speaker of the house is, great. But if you don't know who the speaker is of your state legislature, that's a problem. Right. 90% of your state governments supply your higher education system with the appropriation funds. So people are up here. Conservatives are the most guilty of this. I go to school board meetings all the time. I never see people from the. Constantly say we have to shut down the department of ed. They don't do anything, but they have no idea who is on the appropriation committees in their state legislature. They have Mm -hmm. no idea who's on the 
uh, committee for their education system, their judiciary system, and then they get upset about drugs or this, that, and the other, and they have no idea who's actually in power. It's 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 actually quite terrifying. Especially since, again, that they're the ones that it's it's. I think people don't re- think about you know like it's your neighbor that like has a power trip. You know, it's sort of like you know everyone knows that there's that you know a couple neighbors in their HOA who you know, are forcing everyone to have the same fence color or whatever. But, you know, they don't realize it's that same type of personality that then becomes mayor, county chair, you know, school board uh, uh, members and chairs and so forth. And they wield an incredible amount of power. It's localized. It's not as broad as the federal government, but it's way more immediate and, and, and directly affecting your life. And just as importantly, or more importantly, even the federal stuff, more often than not, is... It's the city. More often than not, if you have a government gun pointed at your face or or even just a government gun holder in your face telling you to do something, they're an employee of the city, the county, or the state. Very rarely, unless you're doing some real interesting stuff, very rarely do you have a federal agent, you know, stopping you from doing something. It's 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 a city cop, county cop, state cop. So that's that's very uh that's very interesting to me. I, I, I have a I have a question to you. Um because I, I was thinking I would already have an answer to this now, and I, I, I think I have to actually force this question out of you. What, if any, limit would you say there may be to speech? Now, obviously, like "I'm going to kill you" is is a, would be a limit. Like you know, if it, you know, making threats and things like that. Outside of that, do you think that there is any reasonable limit to what people can or or, or cannot say? So, yes, there's already there's no such thing as a pure free speech in our society. Just like you said, you can't make true threats. You can't you know, threaten to blow up a school. We all we all know these basic things. A lot right. of people use the, the random phrase can't shout fire in a movie theater. That's not necessarily the right legal analysis, but Cause you, it works because you kind of can. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but thing <laughs> at the government level and it's called legal analysis and it's called time, place, and manner restrictions. And what this basically means is the government, when it comes to free speech, what we call fundamental rights, Mm. the government basically has to jump through multiple hoops. They have to have a huge headache and come up with a a really good justification to do what they want to do. Then you have something called intermediate scrutiny, and that applies to things that are less than fundamental rights. And then you have things that are just, you just need a reasonable basis for, and that's your lowest standard. So with free speech, the First Amendment, the government can put a restriction on if it's necessary and compelling to for a uh, compelling state interest. So, for example, we'll go back to the college campus. A school could not say you are not allowed to exercise your voice because there's no compelling reason. They haven't given you anything. It's not the most restrictive means of carrying out their government interest. Right, right, right. right. Let's say the week of finals, um, the policy is you cannot have a blowhorn outside the library during the week of finals. That would be okay because it's the the government interest, the school's interest is we're an educational entity and we want the students to be able to study. Cool. It's the least narrow restrictive ways of doing it they're just applying it to the library because obviously that's where people study and it's for a limited time only during the finals period uh so this is what we call time place and manner restrictions 
Now, the government, even with those restrictions, even though with those exceptions, they still can only do it if it's in a content and neutral way. So they can't say everybody's allowed to be in the campus quad except for Spike's show because we don't like Spike's content. Even if the regulation that might happen uh, at some point, by the way, oh, it probably will. That's how you know you've won. I know. Um, that's how I know I've, I've hit the big time is when I get banned from yeah. college. So yeah, the government basically they have to have they have to jump through a bunch of hoops, and the regulation has to apply to everybody equally, and they can't look or listen to the content in order to come up with the regulation. So they can't look at your sign and say, okay, we don't like what it says. Okay. Uh, they can regulate and say, you know, Spike's business, everybody in the community who has a business, the sign can only be 10 feet tall. Right. But if they said everybody's sign but Spike's can only be this, it would be wrong because they're looking at the content. Right. Okay. Okay. And, and, and a lot of these more prickly things with, and this is the anarchist to me coming out, the more privatization there would be, the less of these, for example, the example where you just where you were talking about the thing with the bullhorn, I'm thinking if this were a private college, no one would even blink because a that's perfectly reasonable to say no bullhorns in front of the, the library during finals week. And B, it's their private property. And if you don't like it, then tough. You know, it's like it's like, yes, I support free speech. At the same time, if someone comes into my house and says something I don't like or just is there and I don't want them to be there, I have every right to say, get the hell out of my house because it's my house, my private property. There's I, there's I, I don't have to, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm libertarian in my in my standards. I'm pretty tolerant in what I, I tolerate with what people say. But for the most part, if, if someone, for example, we, we go back to the Jew thing. If someone came in and said, you know, Jews are degenerates and, you know, they should all be rounded up and, and, and done away with. And I would say, OK, well, you need to leave my house then because I'm, you know. I sub- you shouldn't be arrested for saying that, but get out of my house, right? So, so that's that. That was my little screed in favor of privatization. But um, so well, uh, yeah, there. So just real quickly, one of the caveats though is that there's this this contract law, right? Okay. So you will very rarely find a private institution that you know you get the brochure and they're showing you the campus quad and all the students studying and they look all happy and everything. You'll very rarely see a school that says, hi, we're a private institution. We don't believe in free speech. You don't have robust free speech here. 99% of private schools say, hey, come experience the free exchange of ideas where we value and uphold free speech for all. Right. right That's of course, what- right. So if they do that in some states, you actually have a private right to contract claim for basically lying. You sign the contract because they said that they'd let you have free speech. Um, but nine times out of 10, private institution can do what it wants because they have a First Amendment right to associate and public institutions can't because they have this thing called the First Amendment. Right, exactly. So it's, it's a difference between private association and a go- because because and the, the main the key difference is I'm not going to follow you down the street and put you in a cage at gunpoint for what you said. I'm just telling you to get off my get off my land, you know, get the hell off my lawn with that nonsense. Um, so uh, I came up with a, a couple of examples of things that are, are kind of happening out there. I want to get your your input on it. Um, I don't think an episode goes by that we don't end up talking about Donald Trump. So I'm not going to start now. Um, he uh, was recently on Twitter. There were two different things he was talking about. And the first thing was he was very upset at Saturday Night Live. Um, Alec Baldwin, who does argu- arguably the worst Donald Trump impersonation 
uh, uh, in in major media uh, has been doing these uh, skits uh, where he pretends to be Donald Trump and, you know, they make fun of him and whatever. And so Trump was on Twitter uh, about saying, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, NBC talking about taking NBC and, and Saturday Night Live to court for defaming and belittling him. He said that it can't be legal. Um, and, uh, I don't think he's going to take them to court. Um, but, um, if Obama were to say something like that, the right would lose their minds. Of course, Donald Trump saying it. So it's the left losing their minds and, and the right is, is coming up with it. But what, what do you say to a conservative who is, it's one thing to be a conservative. It's another thing to be like, a hardcore Trump supporter at all times, no matter what he does. What do you say to you know a, a self-described limited government conservative um, who would co who co-signs, for example, Donald Trump saying that you know he's going to see if it's legal to make fun of him? I think people both on the right and the left are utterly insane at this point. So many people have lost critical thinking skills. It's I could care less about some president's uh, R or D behind his name. Right. I about the constitution i care about the first amendment which basically means at some point in time i'm representing somebody you hate and then the next day is somebody that you love right exactly yeah it it's much more terrifying when the president of the united states says something like that but (laughs) it also makes me more uh secure in my limited government beliefs because when i have a lot of friends that say oh we need more government to do this this and that i can sit back and say this is why I told y'all that we don't need a bigger government because as much as Donald Trump wants to have a tantrum about NBC, CNN, whatever, right? The man can't do a damn thing about it. Exactly. Now, he can use his popularity, and we can all go into our tantrum phase like we did last year as Americans and boycott every little damn thing. I can't even remember what we're all boycotting anymore. Volvo. But- we were at Volvo. I, I know at one point we were boycotting oh, Volvo, and I don't know why. It was like H and M, Dove, Starbucks. Uh, I can't remember. Harley Davidson. Yeah. But at some point, it's just the reason that we have the the structure that we have is so when some power hungry guy with a a small ego, and this isn't just Trump, this is probably 90% of the presidents we've had, want to shut down the media, we have something in place that says, oh, look, this is why we embrace capitalism and this is why we have a first amendment. So right. go sit your butt down somewhere. And the only thing Donald Trump can do is tweet about it, which is also equally hilarious and great. Trump is more entertaining than Netflix. And so, especially cause he can't do half the stuff that he's saying he wants to do. I also am not thoroughly convinced he actually wants to do those things. I think he's often just changing the subject from something he doesn't want people to talk about and making it about him again. So I think there's some, some, a lot more smart politicking than people want to admit. Something else he talked about, which was a little more nuanced and actually brought up a, a point that a lot of people have talked about. He's uh, uh, He has said that Twitter, Facebook, and Google are engaging in practices that are uh, reducing his the growth of his followers on those different platforms, that they know all about it and that they'll do nothing about it. I strongly doubt that that's the case, but it does bring up an interesting point, something that has happened to a lot of particularly libertarians and conservatives on social media the last uh, couple of years where they're getting these shadow bans, where they're getting censored, where they're getting deplatformed and removed from these uh, from these, uh, you know, these different um, these different social media venues. Alex Jones pretty much can just be on his website now. He can't be on any of the major uh, uh, the major platforms. Those are private entities, but 
what are, I just wanted to get what your thoughts on that are. I have a lot of thoughts on it as well, but I wanted to get get your thoughts on you know sort of this wide widespread um, coordinated deplatforming uh, by multiple venues. Yeah, so I'll tell you that this is something that the First Amendment world is actively studying and, and trying to figure out. And right. there's so many different strange bedfellows. The First Amendment brings so many strange bedfellows together, and you've got some that are very much believe in the principles of limited, gover- limited government and free markets. And so the, the safe answer, the natural answer is let the free market do its thing. Right. Um, just as the horse and buggy isn't going to be top dog forever, neither is Facebook. My niece makes it very clear to me that only old people use Facebook. Anyway, <laughs> so it's already dying, right? A yeah. slow death. Um, I guess Twitter and Instagram are the cool things now. I don't know. Um, but I do think that the social media companies, specifically Facebook, has gotten itself into a lot of trouble. They've dug themselves into a hole that I think they're having a problem of digging out. And right. that is you can't com- create a community that everybody's happy with. If you keep pandering to everyone's feelings, you're going to end up eventually having to censor everybody. Case in point, I'm very happy to announce that finally it took I've been on Facebook now like what? 15 years. I graduated from college in 06. It came to Michigan State in 04. Um, I got banned from Facebook for about 12 hours for hate speech. I was so proud of myself. It was like, yay, finally. And I made this great argument with the Facebook person when I reached out. And I basically made a post about um, all the white liberal comedians that have done nothing but say the F word and make fun of gay people and nothing happened to them. But a black man says something and look with Kevin Hart. Yeah. Got to get that black man back in line. Right. Right. So I put this out. And of course I get blocked because, you know, somebody reported me because they're upset about that. Right. And I contacted Facebook and I used their own arguments against them. And I said, how are you going to block and censor a black woman in America knowing full well that I am the victimized class and the patriarchy of Facebook, which is mostly run by white men um, and rich white women. How dare you shut down the voice of a black woman? And they were like, okay, okay, okay. And they unblocked. <laughs> so so the they, is, they learned a powerful, how- they learned a powerful lesson about banning a free speech attorney. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was great, but I, so it was I great. Say, the social media companies are starting to learn and understand that they've dug themselves into a hole. I think Twitter um, is from the the conversations that I've had with them. I think Twitter is a lot more realistic about what they've done and trying to get out of it. Facebook, I think is digging in. And I, I just think that a, I think Facebook purposely wants to be regulated and I would encourage all conservatives to push back against this the last thing we want is the internet being controlled by the government. Now, yes, would that mean to some extent they would have to uphold the First Amendment? Yes. But it also means that we would never have internet and we could not watch stupid cat videos. So please just, if you don't like it, don't watch it. And something else, no one's stopping you from being in your mom's basement and creating another Facebook. And Exactly. And that's a tremendous amount of faith to put in the government that they're going to uniformly uphold free speech for everyone, I don't have that faith in the government. I am thankful, and I'm again an anarchist. I'm thankful that there are people like you out there actively fighting the government's natural impulse to infringe all of our rights to do anything, but especially to say anything we want. 
um the fact that you even have to do what you're doing is is a dem- is, is is sort of a proof that you know given their own impulses they would do everything they could to limit anything possible that we could say uh, for their own for their own devices, so to put them in charge of it. The 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 most compelling arguments I've heard in favor of, um, for lack of a better word, forcing Facebook to be treated like a like a you know a public utility where they have to provide service equally and whatever is that, for example, Facebook uh, uses something called the Atlantic Council, uh, the yeah the Atlantic Council that helps them determine what is or is not hate speech. And the Atlantic Council has ties to the U.S. government and to NATO, and there are people on the board that are government organizations, and Facebook gets a lot of tax breaks in different municipalities and things like that. And so people argue, you know, Facebook is sort of uh, not necessarily part of the government, but they're almost a protectorate of the government at this point, like a, you know, a, a public-private partnership. And so, you know, the government is has got their... their um, you know, the government has their claws in there telling them to, to censor people. That's a compelling argument that they're not truly a a free market private entity. It's not a good argument to give that same government that you say is telling them to censor you to give them even more power over Facebook. If anything, the answer would be to have them have less power. And it's like you said, let the free market do its thing. When people say, what's the best thing we can do to stop Facebook? I'm like, from from censoring us and i say um get rid of the fcc like get rid of the things that, like that to get rid of things that that make it harder for um you know startups to to get into that space and to um to compete with facebook and to eventually you know replace them um that would be my answer right i, I agree with you i think that part of the problem is the social media companies have put themselves in a bad place on purpose. I think I really generally think they want to be regulated. So I don't know oh, if yeah. you watched the hearing a few weeks ago in Congress. Part of the problem is the majority of people in Congress don't know a darn thing about tech. And you could tell through the questions that they were asking, right? It was, it was like watching everyone's grandfather try to set up a, an iPhone for the With first tech time. support. Right, 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 right. And it was like, we don't even need to worry about terrorism. We've got these people in Congress, so we're screwed, right? Right. We're all going to die anyway, yeah. It's over. it's over. But if you notice, I think it was the CEO of, um, I think it was Twitter, but I, I don't remember at the moment. He said, we see ourselves as a public forum. And every First Amendment attorney in the country was like, are you freaking kidding me? I've been, We've been trying to help you out. But if you're going to hold yourself out as a certain way, if you're going to say that you're the new virtual town square, then we have no choice than to treat you in that way. So as I, the town I, square, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you can't have it both ways. They want to be a private entity when it's convenient and they want to be this cocky, you know, we help people register to vote and spread democracy um, entity when it's convenient for them. And I think they just got too big and Facebook was cooler when it was just, you know, college people on it and your friend's little sister couldn't friend you. Before all the boomers got on. Um, the uh, I, I didn't say that. Um, but um, I love boomers. My parents are boomers. But um, not, 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 they're, they're the good boomers. But um, anyway, I'm going to get some, some comments on that. But um, uh, I, I definitely think they want to be regulated at least to an extent. So 
because again, it, it stops the smaller competitors. If they're regulated, so is everyone else. And they've already got they've already got themselves entrenched as the top dogs. And so of course they want to be regulated. I mean, it, look at who was pushing for net neutrality. It was all of the, you know, it was social media companies and, and you know, all of these companies that were saying, oh, you know, the internet's going to die without net neutrality because God knows it hasn't blossomed into what it is now without net neutrality. And of course, the the uh, the fun irony there is one of the things that the social media companies said why we need net neutrality is that the internet service providers could censor people and and remove them and, and block them from using the internet. And then for the last two years, that's all the social media companies have been doing is finding people to block for saying, you know, for using wrong, wrong speech and wrong think. Um, so I find that funny. Um, uh, so that, that's interesting. So, um, we have a comment, uh, from Marcus sales who said, um, Alex Jones spread obvious lies, free market idiots, believe him and act on it. So, I have thoughts on that, but I'll get your thoughts too. Um, I think 90% of what Marcus is seeing, regardless of where it's from, from the right, from the left, is obvious marketed lies. This is why, again, I encourage everyone to look at critical thinking skills. It goes back to the Russian, you know, Russia influenced all of us on Facebook, and this is why Hillary lost. First of all, if we are too lazy as Americans to do our fifth grade basic skills of know your sources. I remember in fifth grade, we had to have sources and you had to like write up a bibliography and stuff and cite things. Right. Show your work. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're too lazy to do that, then you're an idiot and you deserve what you get. Um, Most of the things that you see are propaganda. That's what marketing is. That's what every beauty cream that sells to a woman that says, put the skin cream on your face and all your wrinkles will disappear. Guess what? That's some BS and we buy it. Right. Um, You have to be part of being a free person in this country, unfortunately, means that you can't be lazy. And if we lived in a dictatorship, we could be lazy as heck and not have to worry about anything. But if you expect somebody else to do the homework for you, this is one of the reasons I believe that not everybody should have the right to vote. Sorry. When when you're saying everybody should have the right to vote, you mean like, for example, like who who are you saying? Are you saying like... Well, let me do, I'll just let you say it. Well, I'm just saying that if people are with what Marcus is basically saying is people are too dumb to or too lazy right. to research and figure out if something is truth or a lie. But these are the same people who generally say we need to make sure everybody in America can vote. No, this is exactly why we shouldn't make sure everybody in America can vote, because if you don't understand how to do basic research, you need to sit your butt at home. That's a good point, though, because you're because one well, that then again, I'm an anarchist. So any anytime I have these conversations, it, it, it I want to red pill everyone that's listening about, you know, the, the fallacy that is democracy. But um, it is true that the people that are pushing for, you know, that are saying, you know, people are too stupid to make their own decisions. It's like, OK, but you're also saying that they should vote. I, I don't think anyone should vote anytime that anyone says, oh, have you heard of this voter suppression? What do you think of this? And I'll say it's a good start. Um, anyway, so um, uh, uh, so um, uh, what's the other thing? OK, here's something. I don't know if you've heard of this, but there is a game which I believe was designed to test the limits of free speech and people's reaction to it. Uh, it's a game that's coming out. I think it's coming out in February called Jesus Strikes Back judgment day and this game 
I wish I had thought to put up screenshots from this game. I should have done that. But if anyone after the show's over, don't do it now because we're you're watching the show. But when it's over, go Google Jesus Strikes Back Judgment Day, and you're gonna have some fun because it's a game where Jesus teams up with Hitler and Mussolini and uh, Chairman Mao, I think, and no. Putin <laughs> and um, Donald Trump uh, to kill uh, gay people and illegal aliens and um uh and uh uh transgender people and social justice warriors and the shadowy elites and the central bankers i think or which i i think means the jews um and uh um after everybody there's like nobody left yeah yeah, they gotta kill everyone except literally basically themselves um oh and in addition to this jesus has a very voluptuous bosom that he uh that he displays with a low-cut blouse that he's wearing Jesus. So that's this. So that's it's, it's a game coming out, and it was designed, um, I think, to anger everyone at the same time. And yeah. um, and uh, they most of the so this game this website has like an FAQ section, and they're like, "This is real. Everyone thinks we're trolling. This is a real game. We have a real passion for putting this game out." So um, I'm definitely <laughs> going to download it when it comes out because I have to see how this plays out. Um, oh yeah. Not sure I'm, you have to right but so i just wanted to get your thoughts on we were talking earlier about you have to allow all the all the speech when you what would you tell someone who reacts the way most people are going to react uh to to jesus strikes back judgment day don't worry about it don't worry about it i mean at the end of the day if you're a christian jesus loves him too it it is (laughs) Um, that's, that's the, the, the worst thing about being a first amendment attorney right now is that a lot of the people who are pro free speech right. aren't really for free speech. Right. They just use it as a way to piss people off. Right. Never, right. Right. As someone who's like generally passionate about the first amendment and all of the amazing things that it has done and what it can do, it really sucks. Right. It's like having that kid brother that just constantly, ruins everything ruins everything right but at the same time i I look at the opposite and then there's countries where if you tried to depict muhammad a certain way or said something negative about jesus or said something negative about a certain type of person you could stone to death right and here i think it just makes me feel honestly more blessed that we can literally laugh about it and then honestly, I'm so going to check out that game after a round of drinks with my girlfriends because I think it's probably going to be really funny. It's it's crazy. And and it's it's like you said. I mean, it it's Nazis don't want free speech, right? Like the alt right for the most part and maybe maybe so there're different levels to the alt right. There's the Trump supporting civic nationalists, whatever they probably do support free speech for the most part. But like, for example, like the fascists, the Nazis, the people like even further over on the authoritarian spectrum that are part of the alt right, they don't want free speech. They want to use free speech to be able to say what they want right now. And if they ever actually did get power, they would immediately use you know Reich speech and 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 you know limit everyone's speech. But that's also true of a lot of the people on the far left who are leveraging free speech to their own, to their own, you know, devices. That doesn't stop the fact that they should be able to say that if for no other reason than the vast majority of people 
should be able to listen to that and go, oh man, you guys are crazy. I want nothing to do with you. I'm glad I had a chance to hear this. As opposed to if you put them in a corner and say, no, 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 you can't talk, you can't talk. You turn them into martyrs. You make people interested in what they have to say. Um, And when my parents as a kid told me, oh, no, you don't listen to this. They're this, they're that. Don't listen to them. The first thing I could do when I got an internet connection was find out what the KKK had to say. And as soon as I looked at it, I'm like, Oh no, that's terrible. I have nothing to do with that. But it was because of my whole life I'd been told, no, you don't want to listen to them. They're the they're you know they hate us or whatever. I'm like, I now I have to. You know, it's like saying don't look at that elephant over there. Okay, um, go ahead. And you're absolutely right. And on and on the flip side too, um, when constantly we hear minorities, and I say it all the time in my field that look, racism still exists, and you'll get people that will say really naive things like, well, no, it's not because you have a lot of Americans that have this romanticized version of America and they think, you know, there was slavery and then Lincoln came and then there were some people with some white hoods, but then, you know, a man had a dream and now all is good, right? It's all good now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not true. And so when we have, you know, Nazis marching in Charlottesville or people making horrific, stupid, insensitive games, now nobody can deny it. You know, you literally can see the Nazi in the room. You literally can point, yeah. them in and say, don't tell me that I'm paranoid. They're right here. And because there's still such a big segment of the population that just got its head in the ground and they don't want to acknowledge either the systematic racism and sexism that still exists or they truly generally have never experienced it. So therefore it doesn't exist. And so when you see it, and that's the beauty of the internet, and now every idiot kid in America has a phone, and they're recording themselves doing the dumb things that they're doing, voila, we see how the public education system has failed us all. <laughs> that was a nice segue into that. No, but, it, but and it's true, like, I, I, so often I would hear, you know, racism was dead until Obama fanned the flames, and I'm like... Oh, yeah. I love that line. <laughs> even when I was a hardcore conservative... Obama hater, you know, we needed, I don't know, Sarah Palin, whatever, to, to save us all. When I would hear that, I'm like, I'm in South Carolina. That's never been true. Like, we, we're very open with our racism here, and it was pretty wide open. And Obama didn't, I mean, he may have, it, it's true he fanned some flames, but um, he fanned those flames by his existence as a black guy more so than a lot of, yes, a lot of things he said fan flames, but just his existence as a black person in power over a lot of white people who didn't like that also fan flames, which means that those flames were already there and, 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 and racism did exist. But like you said, you can't deny it now. Like there's videos that you can easily look at and whether you like it or not, they're all over your newsfeed of these things happening. And uh, same thing with, with um, police brutality. So many people are, oh, that's, that's never happened. I got pulled over once and, uh, you know, he gave me a warning. And it's like, yeah, yeah. no, that did happen to you. Um, <laughs> but here's, now you, now instead of saying, well, this person said this happened, which compared to the cop's testimony, a lot of people are going to defer to the authority of the cop. Now you have a video showing you what happened. And unless you're a hardcore bootlicker that's going to look for an excuse why that was okay, nine times out of 10, those are completely... Th- those videos that that are being shared around that's not right like it, it, it and 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 you can't deny it anymore so um i'm sure it's made your job harder but have has the proliferation of 
every, like you said, every idiot having a camera, has that in some ways made your job a little bit easier to be able to say like, this is why we need free speech so that everyone can share what's going on and what they think about it in real time whenever they want to without someone threatening to put them in a cage for it? It's kind of 50-50. So on one hand, my mom's a teacher. So she's constantly reminding me that, particularly when I'm dealing with younger people, Shelby, the frontal lobe isn't attached yet. So you probably had just as many dramatic emotional reactions to things, but you graduated college before people had video phones. Some of us did, but you would have paid like five ninety nine for like three seconds of video use. Right, right, right. It, yeah, it wasn't the same. And it wasn't HD, you know, 30 frames per second movie quality video, right? Yeah, and like your parents would kill you and take you off the, the food plan if you did all that. So right, right, right. different world. But at the same time, it has helped, I think, give people also a new passion for free speech without even realizing they're for it. So when I see my friends posting videos and sharing their thoughts, either about the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter, so many of these things started through social media. This is people all using their freedom of expression. This is all people using the First Amendment to do your right to associate with people, to to run your mouth, to offend people. All of this is because you have free speech. So it's as much as I'm irritated by everybody equally, I'm also just so proud of, of Americans for doing it. So I like to say that I'm not free speech except on weekends. The only thing I was upset about was the NFL because that was like my time. And then they had to make me think about work. So, Oh, that's true. Because it became like a free speech battle, which, you know, again, we we can make the whole, you know, sports have never not been controversial. Um, they've always had political elements to them because everyone's watching them. Um one could argue that uh, maybe if you didn't want uh, uh, sports to be political, you wouldn't have the Department of Defense funding massive uh, campaigns for recruitment uh, during halftime. It's a whole other subject. Um, uh, one last question before um, I let I give you the floor for final thoughts. And by the way, thank you again for coming on. It's been an absolute blast having you on. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, this is fun. It's fun to talk with you because we've been friends on Facebook, I think, for like almost 10 years now, at least. Well, I, I've only been on six years, but I, you were probably—I would say—really oh. early. Five, five years, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. But I wanted to ask you one more thing, because again, there are two things we always talk about on this show, and that's Donald Trump and the police. Um, so I think you—I would imagine you're in Michigan, um, uh, or you're from Michigan. I, I would imagine you've heard of the case where uh, a guy in—I think it was, uh, was it Oakland, Michigan. Oakland County, Michigan, who uh, he pulled up next to a police officer and he was blaring NWA's uh, fuck the police. Uh, okay, I, 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 I you had to know about this. So as you know, he got arrested. Um, his attorney, uh, Nicholas Somberg, I think, uh, successfully fought it in court. Um, not only did the did the the I guess it was the county fight tooth and nail to try to get this guy convicted for his five hundred and eighty three dollar charge. Um, but he, they tried to get the, the attorney disbarred and they tried to argue that the constitution shouldn't be mentioned in court, um, because it's not federal, um, or something like that. And I mean, they, they, they pulled out all the stops to try to get this guy. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, it took something like eight minutes, uh, roughly, I think they, the, the jury just listened to fuck the police twice and then came back and, and, and rendered their, their verdict. But they, they said not guilty. And they actually, one of them went over to the, um, 
went over to the uh, 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 the prosecutor and said, why did you waste our time with this? Um, and then uh, the attorney uh, uh, celebrated by uh, driving through the streets, blaring fuck the police, um, uh, uh, which one would. Um, that's similar to when Donald Trump uh, celebrated his win in the case with Stormy Daniels by going on Twitter and calling her horse face. Um, <laughs> similar similar dynamics there it's like well i can do it the the courts just said i could um but i just want to get your thoughts on that like so i can see why a cop would be offended by that song but we're talking about the i'll just let you say it i think that is probably one of the best examples of why Nobody should ever want a big, powerful government that's there to protect you, period. Um, That song is no different than a bunch of crazy drunkards back in the day that dressed as offensive Native Americans and dumped the king's tea over in the harbor, right? They were literally saying, F the police, F the the king, forget y'all, right? This is what they said. And what's great about it is that thank god the the jury these are average these are your american citizens saw the bs for what it was and there's two things that i I have faith in at the end of the day americans are not going to let their speech get shut down now i think it's going to get close i think the government's going to start with words that we you said in the beginning that we all know to be wrong right right right. a lobster and then they're going to go too far and i don't think they're ever going to be able to take away our guns americans are not going to allow this nonsense to keep going and i think that's the beauty of it is regardless of it's donald trump barack obama a police officer or somebody else it's still us against the man and we as the american people might fight but you would literally have like the black panthers and the kkk joining forces if and when they ever came for the actual free speech rights and i i think that's that's what's cool about it so so I still for have no to... other reason than to combine than to than to bring together uh the the clan and the 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 black panther party in in harmony then then that would be the the silver lining to that so no and i and i agree i mean you've got you've got a situation where you're talking about so again i, I always equate there ought to be a law to people need some, they're basically saying the police need to come and put people in cages. The idea that a song that is offensive to the police should result in you being put in a cage. It sounds more like a tantrum than an actual like belief or policy. It's like, I don't like that you think this way about me. So I'm going to do something that completely justifies your opinion about me. Um, so, so I was, yeah, I was super happy. And of course, as a, as a living troll, um, an actual real life troll, um, I was I loved the, how the attorney immediately went out and his his client was not a libertarian free speech activist. He was like a guy that didn't like the cops. It's fine. And uh, and he but so the attorney went and, 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 you know, everyone now knows the words to that song, which is pretty much the same thing over and over again. But um, we have one more comment um, from. Uh, uh, well, we have two comments. Uh, Kayla Dank says totally agree. Shelby. I'm not sure specifically what she was saying. She totally agrees with. But we'll just assume everything. Um, and then uh, we have another uh, um, uh, another comment from Marcus that says those Nazis have jobs. Uh, how many of them are in HR, teachers, law enforcement, loan officers, etc.? Probably a lot of them, Marcus. Uh, but so long as they uh, don't actually, they know how to keep their personal business out of work. 
Let them think how they want. There are tons of people that I cannot stand. Let me tell you that. But I know how to turn it off at work and turn it back on when I go out and have wine with my girlfriend. So, so long as they know how to do that, cool. If not, sue the heck out of them. This is America. Um, but if you try to shut them down or get them fired, all you're doing is giving them free media attention and a really good lawyer. That's true as well. And 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 the flip side of that is if I have as an employer see that they're doing this and go, ah, I don't want nothing to do with that and you know, I I'm within my my, you know, contract limitation or whatever to to fire them, that's that's a free association thing, right? Like I, I have every right. If I, you know, am employing for example, if I was employing people and I heard that they were advocating for genocide, they're not working for me anymore because I don't want that to represent my company. Um, so I mean that, but that's a separate issue from saying they shouldn't be allowed to say that. It's one thing to say, you know, social shaming. I'm I'm, I'm actually a, a big fan of a lot of social shaming has helped to to move things along. Uh, probably the two most powerful ways to affect change are uh, social shaming and physical violence. And so, preferable to physical violence would be to just shame people into into or or or, or threaten to shame people into into doing the right thing or what you know what you perceive to be the right thing so um so yeah so i I agree with that um thank you again for being on my show i want to give you a chance to give us any final thoughts anything you want to say anything you want to plug anything you want to talk about uh before we let you go the floor is yours um i just want to wish everyone a merry christmas and i want to um tell my best friend Kate that I love her and I'm thinking about her. She lost her husband to ALS on Sunday and I'm going to Michigan tomorrow. Um Tony was an amazing amazing man and gone way too soon. Um but um I know that he's not in pain anymore and for anybody that's suffering through anything, uh your family and your caregivers love you very much and I just Hope everyone kind of gets over the BS for a while and realizes that there's so many more important things happening in the world. And someone offending you is just, that's a luxury that we're so blessed to have. That's a good point. Yeah. And and, and rest in peace to Tony. And, and we wish you uh, safe travels to to be with uh, with his wife and, and to be with your friend and at the, at the funeral and all of that. Um, and uh, again, it has been such a pleasure to have you on. Judging from uh, a lot of these comments, uh, my viewers were very happy to have you on uh, and are probably going to be asking for you to be on much more often. So hopefully you can you can join us again in the future. That would be great. Of course, I'd love it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, and if you can stick around with me during the outro, um, I'm just going to talk to you for a bit. But um, thank you again. And guys, thank you again for watching, for joining us on My Fellow Americans. Uh, join us on every Wednesday uh, uh, for this show. Uh, tomorrow... On the writer's block, Matt Wright is interviewing, name completely escapes me, but he is a, an owner of a cava bar, a cava bar in uh, California. Right now, California is in the process of trying to ban uh, cava drinks, um, and not just that, but ban any food substance that has a dietary supplement in it, which um, would be... Uh, say goodbye to energy drinks and a bunch of other things. So he's, they're going to be talking about the implications of that and how they're going to, how they're fighting against that. Um, cause California, uh, very often what happens in California ends up spreading everywhere else too. So, um, as, as I'm sure Shelby could tell you. Um, but, uh, um, so that's, what's going to be on the writer's block. Uh, Tuesday is Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are not hundred percent certain if we're having an episode of the, uh, Monday waters of freedom on Tuesday. If we do, it's going to be an awesome show and I will possibly be wearing a sweater, um, a very ugly Christmas sweater. 
Um, so if for no other reason, we may, we may end up doing the show if for, for only to show my sweater. Um, and then join us again next Wednesday, uh, on, uh, on my fellow Americans, I will be, uh, interviewing, uh, Patricia Watson and we'll be talking about, uh, her, uh, libertarian efforts in homesteading and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, it'll be a very patty politics post Christmas that we'll be having, uh, on Wednesday, but thank you again for joining us. Have a great night and God bless you. Please.